Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Spartan Speak. I'm Graham Couch, the Lansing State Journal, along with my colleague, Chris Solari from the Detroit Free Press. Chris, it is good to be back with you. Talk some yeah. uh, MSU basketball here. Well, and it's it, let's also give a shout out to our listeners because obviously the frequency with which we do them sometimes during the foot the basketball season gets a little bit wonky based on just a bunch of different circumstances. So we appreciate the patience and we appreciate your patronage and uh, subscribe to whatever the channel that you most prefer, um, whether it be Apple, Spotify. All of them. Uh, we, we've got the, this thing's everywhere. Thanks to thanks to Phil Friend for that. That's right. The great Phil Friend, uh, who is our silent partner. Maybe at some point he'll be back as a uh, regular in-person partner. Um, so Michigan State basketball is uh, <clears throat> coming off a, since we last uh, spoke, quite a few things. But specifically, Tuesday, a win, home win, pretty gritty and needed home win over Maryland. And then this Sunday is at a reeling Ohio State team that has lost five in a row and 10 of 11. But still, Ken Palm has ranked higher than Michigan State. If there's ever a reason, like I use Ken Palm for a lot of stuff and and a lot of different metrics, Bartorvik and stuff like that. But I would argue that if there's ever a reason for Ken Palm to like go away forever, it would be this year's Ohio State team. And how it is how it is seen. The same with the net rank. Oh, it's it's like I understand that they're disappointing and they've got more talent than than their record, but at a certain point you're you are what you're you're doing on the court. Ohio State's loss last night put them behind MSU in the net rankings. Okay. Now. So that, they finally um, fell after their Yeah, they, they were they were a spot ahead of them at forty one and now this morning Michigan State and we're recording on Friday morning. Michigan State's at forty one and Ohio State dropped to forty six, even though they're eleven and thirteen. Yeah, that was bizarre. All right, well, let's start with Maryland. We'll get to Ohio State in a minute. So that, that that was a game that Michigan State has done something, Chris, this year, I think, pretty consistently. And that is when they've had the Being game. Inconsistent? Absolutely. No. Well, yeah, well, yeah. Well, they've done a couple things inconsistently. One, they've scored 63 points, like, every game very consistently. They've scored, I believe it's it's seven of the last eight games, they've scored 63 points or fewer. And they've scored – less than 70 in like 10 or 10 straight. So they're, they're offensively, they are definitely limited, but what they have also done is when they have been in a situation where they absolutely had to win, or it felt like that, you know, obviously they could have lost to Maryland and beaten Ohio state and Minnesota and Michigan and, you know, all as well, but it, you get these games where it feels like they got to have this one. And they've done that. They did that with Iowa earlier in the year at home. They did that with Rutgers earlier in the year at home those games where they've had to have. And so they did it again. And I think what was important about this one is in the second half, they looked like they might get out toughed a little bit. Maryland gets out of run, gets up four. Things are falling apart. And they showed some resolve. They showed some grit. And home grit is different than road grit. And home grit is not 100% real. But it's still what Michigan State has done is kept its floor pretty high, I think. And that was the biggest takeaway from that game the other night. Yeah, I, I think so. I think that you saw down the stretch, I, I, Tyson Walker had some really big plays down the stretch, but I think lost in a couple of those big plays were moments where Maryland identified that they were going to Walker, and as he was attacking the rim, they you know Dante Scott blocked him one time. There were a couple errant shots. Um, so you needed somebody else in those moments to step up. Malik Hall hit a big shot. 
Um, I thought AJ Hogard, we saw the best of AJ Hogard down the stretch after he had his little blow up with one of his teammates uh, for, I think it was Jaden Akins, as a matter of fact, uh, on a screen, on a ball screen. But after that, he calmed himself down and played under control. And, and he played under control for almost all the game other than that little stretch. You know, it's funny because after that, that play with uh, Akins where, where there was a ball screen mix up and Hogarth got a foul, Hogarth goes down the other end and tries to do too much and nearly throws the ball over the backboard. But when they needed him, he was going downhill into the lane and he sets that the the play where he set up Joey Hauser for the three was what you want AJ Hogard to do. He doesn't Izzo on Thursday had a great point. He's like, you know, sometimes the games where AJ Hogard scores 15, 18 points aren't as good as those kind of games where he's scoring eight to ten and handing the ball out and getting everybody involved like that. And that's you know, that's the that's kind of the hurdle that they've been trying to get over. You know, and I do think that as this team goes, as AJ Hogarth goes, this team goes. And when he's playing like that and being the facilitator and then scoring off that, that's usually when they're at their best. And I, we saw it down the stretch there. I also thought free throws too. We can't we can't ignore the two free throws or that throw that lob pass deep uh, after he got a, a rebound, ten high, career high ten rebounds it, for a team that needs some extra rebounders um, was, I thought, a, a big performance for Hogarth. I also thought Tyson Walker was really important in a couple of key moments where sort of the initial surge of of toughness and and and, and response to when the, and they fell down and, and, and he hit some big shots. And he's the guy right now that I think, you know, if you need a bucket, you know, and Hogarth has been that at times, but Walker's the need a bucket guy, go get a bucket guy. And he had some shots down the stretch that weren't great, but, He's got an edge to him. He's not scared any moment. Um, and that's and they're putting the ball in his hands too. I mean, they're, they, you know, you saw the back part of that game. You know, they were using Walker at the point to trigger it and moving Hogarth off ball, which is a nice luxury to have when you got a couple guys that can run the offense like that. Well, the one thing I want to get into a little here before we move to the, the what's next is is into this sort of bridge is Malik Hall. One of the things that become very apparent is, and this is a good thing and a bad thing for MSU. Malik Hall is not himself right now, offensively. He's searching for it. He's a little lost. He's defensively, little, especially. Yeah, and he's a black hole when he gets the ball. He, you know, he doesn't. Um, at times, he, he, you know, he gave up two open threes. Crap, you know, went to the basket with no real plan when he got there. And neither one worked out. He had one play where he's coming down the. Court, he had two open guys, and he went at traffic. I mean, he's just not himself. He's usually – he's not ever had a great go-to move, but he's had a, an array of moves. He's been a smart offensive player, and, and he is not that. So I think the, the, the positive on that would be that they're essentially playing without Malik Hall offensively right now. And so, you know, maybe if that changes, that elevates them. Because what you're really looking for, for right now, if, if you're an MSU fan, is like, where is their hope that they become something more? Where can guys like Joey Hauser and Tyson Walker, I think both are having really good years. Both are who they are. Joey Hauser is going to be a guy who, who uh smart, savvy player, hit shots many games. Some games doesn't. The good news for MSU is that he's no longer affected by misses. Tyson Walker is a guy that, you know, can go off for 30, which you could use in a, in a random game, but and, and gives you scoring, gives you the ability shot creation. But those guys are what they are. 
Jaden Akins maybe has another level. We're starting to see some signs of that. Hogard's consistency, incredibly important. I think you're dead on, Chris, as, as he goes, they go. But the other guy is Hall. So if you're looking for a reason that, like, this whole thing could click and reach another level, you know, peak Malik Hall is, is a lot better than the Malik Hall we're seeing. Yeah, and I think you got to throw Joey Hauser in there, too, because I think he's like Walker when his shot's falling. You know, he's a guy that can get you 25, 30 some nights, um, depending on the matchup. But he's the guy, he's already, he's, he is what he is, right? I mean, that that's that's not going to yeah. change. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree with that. But but when you have the extra components of Malik Hall, you know, I mean, he had seven points in that Maryland game. It was three of five. Um, you know, it wasn't like he was ineffective, but he also wasn't exactly, he, he he's not the, a go-to guy right now. And there was a point where you would have, if you needed someone to go downhill and get a layup, it would be Hogarth. If you had needed someone to hit a, a, a clutch bucket as Walker, if you need a three, Hauser. You know, Malik Hall is the guy that that you look to on the block to do some creation there. Um, and if they can get that component, now you got four guys at four at all three levels that can that can do some things. Um, and you're and you're right. I mean, right now because they just don't have the guy in on the block. I don't think Mati Sissoko will be that guy. Jackson Kohler is probably a year or two away from being that guy. Cause he, I think he's pressing a little bit right now, hitting a freshman wall. Um, and when he does try and get around the basket, you know, he's getting doubled or, you know, trying to do a little bit too much. And I think Hall is the guy. Yeah. And there's probably a little bit of pressing at, at times for him. Uh, but he's also the one guy that they've got that, if you get him the ball on the block, he can have a spin move inside, outside, you know, do a couple things baseline, whether it be a step back jumper um, when he's healthy, um, you know, without that right now. Until, and I think it's going to take it, it, some of it. If his foot is bothering him persistently, which it's probably going to be, um, you know, I think everybody's kind of admitted that then it's just trying to figure out, his own body, which takes a little bit of time to readjust some of those things. Just like, I mean, it's no different than bringing a guy back from an injury. You know, the team has to adjust to it, but if Hall's playing, you know, if he's going to be 75, 80% the rest of the way, then he's got to adjust to, to how he's feeling. And that does take a little bit of time because, you know, you're right. When you see him try and make those spin moves now, and it, it's all, it's like, he doesn't necessarily have a plan I think to me it's more that he has the plan, but his body's not responding. So you got to learn how to how to make things create with what your limitations are at this point. Um, and that's gonna take a couple games. And these are these are some good games. I mean, you know, you know, this stretch right now, um, you know, they've had a couple extra days off. You know, I, I kind of did the math. They had six days off before the Rutgers game, and they have five days off now before the Ohio State game. That's the the most they're gonna have the rest of the year. And they were able to figure some things out, get to practice a little bit more. But more importantly, it, it's it's figuring out Malik Hall, like you said, both how he fits within the rest of those the team right now with where he's at and how he can adjust to himself. You brought up Jackson Kohler. The Kohler situation is interesting because, I, you know, there are things Sissoko is def- – look, the center position is never going to be this team's strength. That just sort of is where it is. And there's a, a, an absolutely fair debate whether they should have brought in somebody else to help with that. 
or it's not. It's a spot yeah. where guys got to play their role and play them perf- perfectly and to perfection. Well, and if they had a trade deadline and, and, and college hoops like they do in the NBA, maybe you'd make a move there right now and try and get some get some help. Um, but you're not going to do that. And the problem with, you know, Kohler and Cooper is you give up something defensively most of the time. Uh, the problem with Sissoko is it's not just that he isn't – they don't have a low post presence other than, than Kohler occasionally. And Kohler, we're seeing some unbelievable moves out of him. I mean, you're starting to see – and that could come to a level where you get enough out of him that you start going, okay, that that outweighs some of the defense. And, and the, the defense Mahdi gives you um, isn't that much better to the point. Now, but what I would argue is – I think Sissoko's defense is considerably better, but I would argue where where the advantage goes to Kohler is feel for the game. And I made the comparison the other day to somebody about Mahdi being sort of the center version of Tum Tum Nairn. And you can see it with his teammates. Like there's no, they know there's no chance of improvisation or understanding oh. of seeing something in the great flow of the game and going, oh, we're going to react to this and I'm going to, all of a sudden, I'm going to make this move, and I know you'll be there because you'll just feel it. Kohler feels the game. He's a basketball player. And, and like, if you ask me what Mahdi needs this offseason, develop this, develop that, what Mahdi needs is to play 4,000 pickup games. He needs yeah. to become a basketball player. I, I, when he finishes playing with his guys at MSU, go to Moneyball. Finishes Moneyball, get to the YMCA, get out to the match. But I don't care because you, you may be a lot more talented, but you know what? Those old men at the Mac, those guys who are naked in the sauna afterwards, those guys have a lot better feel for the game than Mati Sissoko. You can learn a thing or two. Like if you're Mati Sissoko, you just want to be on the court 100 hours a day, learning the game, getting a feel for it, having it be more natural for you. Because I see that at times. And that's one of the, you know, you just see it. And like I'll see Jay Nakins trying to, you know, his frustration with Sissoko is he he doesn't trust that Sissoko is going to be somewhere, and I think that impacts. Uh, what, a, what a great point in that, and that there was a point in late in that game where Tyson Walker drove into the paint and got surrounded, I think, by two or three guys. Knew Sissoko was over there and couldn't pass it to him, so he th- intentionally threw it off the glass to try and get it to Mati, and he wasn't ready for it. He didn't have the understanding. And Walker got a little frustrated when it, I think it ended up going out of bounds. And and you think, well, it was just a wild shot by Walker, but it was actually, a, you could see it was a plan because right afterward, he's like trying to tell Mahdi, you got to be ready for that. This, you know, missed shot is an offense. I mean, Izzo's talked about that for years about how the missed shot can be an offense of uh, almost a play. And that was one of those moments that if a guy's basketball savvy, he sees, well, my, my guard just got surrounded in the paint by three guys, he's going to throw it up to me off the glass. Just an instinctual thing that just isn't there for him. I No, I think you're right. And 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 I don't know, again, I don't know how you fix that. It never happened with Tum Tum. And so, and I'm not saying they're the same dude. I think it's different between big men and, and guards, totally. too, in that respect. Sissoko so, so, doesn't need to get to the point that Tum Tum, they need a Tum Tum to get to, because you don't need to run the offense. You just need to have a little more feel for things. And again, I you know, next year they get Xavier Booker, Jackson Kohler's a sophomore, Cooper's a sophomore. The need for Sissoko, there'll be he'll he'll have to be better to to play, you know. And, and I think he will be. I think I yeah, I, I think do. that 
in, in, you know, in a 15 to 18 minute role is probably where you want Madi Sissoko at, at the most. But out of necessity this year, they got to roll with him. There's still oh. upside. To me, there's still upside because I do think he is a smart kid. And I think you, you hit it on the on the head. I mean, court time is what he needs. He needs, he, he, I mean, remember when he, before he came in, he, he missed half his senior year with a broken hand that he had suffered in that. ATV accident when he was on a trip. I think it was either BYU or Utah. And so he missed that. He missed that following summer because of the COVID uh, when he got to campus. And he barely played before. Yeah. He didn't play the first few years. So, I mean, it was, you can see the promise and potential there. But, you know, he, I think people think, you know, he was a four star recruit, but he was a four star recruit on raw talent. And raw talent always needs the reps more than anything, more than anything. Well, he's not, he's not quite big enough to be raw. You know, that, that would he's be, got, my, he's got the wingspan though. That he, to, he does, but you, make up you know, he's just not, he's not quite long. Like you see it, you see it with Mourier from, Omarui. from, Omarui from <laughs> Rutgers. I cannot pronounce his name. Oh, well, we're moving on. You know, Hey, Izzo was, as you said, Izzo was proud about getting that right. But there's Practice some other names. I, I would ask Izzo to pronounce uh, Kofi Coburn twelve times over and see what he uh, see what he gets. So um, I'm not I'm not sure he's got any place to talk on that. But you, you just the, the difference in size as he developed, you know, uh, you know, helps him tremendously. Um, so let, let's move on to Ohio State in this week's matchup. Look, it's not well before before we move on to that. Okay. Just kind of as as a finishing point with that. They need. They're going to need Sissoko in the next couple games. You know, once you get through this stretch of Ohio State, and Minnesota, you got back to back with. You, you're going to have Hunter Dickinson again, and you're going to have Trey Stack, Jackson Davis, and you know he might not be matched up on Jackson Davis, but they're going to need him to have some of those help defenses and and try and do some things to prevent Jackson Davis from going off on him like he did last time. No, for, for sure. I mean, he, he is. Uh... Um, I mean, they need Soko. They need, and he talked about it. You know, we, we chatted with him Thursday night, and you know, one of the things that you know, I talked about, you know, Zach Eady and the things you learn from facing a guy is just, and, and he does does learn. He knows what he needs to do, and I, I think you know, I think he will be better um, every time he faces these guys. So next time around for for uh, Trace Jackson Davis, Ohio State is a weird team. Like I really, they were to me a dark horse, big 10 contender coming into the year. A lot of talent. Liked it a lot. And, and obviously, you know, Bryce Sensabaugh is an outstanding freshman. Uh, They've started bringing him off the bench some, but I don't think they were planning on him being quite the, all everything for them that he's had to be. The, The Zed key, uh, health situation has hurt them a little bit because Key is a seasoned good player. And Justin Suing's a good player. Um, but they're young a lot of places. And they just don't have great connectivity, sometimes not great body language or resolve. They look like a young team. You know, maybe not. So the leadership must not be great. Uh, there's a, some pressure on Holtman there. You know, I don't know to what degree that's real. The big thing I would say for MSU is like I think there's some fear among fans, and I can see it in social media that like this will be the game, of course, that Ohio State puts it together. 
and you know really in in like Ken Palm I think at least before yesterday's game predicted MSU to lose this game because of course it did for whatever reason but you can also see that and this is one of those games though if you're a seasoned veteran team you put your foot on a throat of it you do not allow Ohio State to great gain confidence and feel great about themselves and I'm not saying this is a blow you're on the road Ohio State's got some ability you're not going to overwhelm them but Michigan State if you're the team that you can be and should be given your talent level which is at least solid and the number of college basketball games your guys have played in all sorts of venues and a team that is down and out a little bit coming off two days less rest you don't let them find themselves in this game if you do that's a problem for Michigan State and that says a lot about Michigan State yeah, and I thought they were putting it together last night watching the watching them play a little bit against Northwestern. I think the first half, I think the first half they the only shots they missed were the nine three pointers they took. Yeah. yeah, which is the weirdest thing I've ever seen. I mean they they were I think I think it was like twenty three of thirty four or something like that or twenty four of thirty three and they missed nine threes. And it's like holy cow! I mean that's you know get away from the arc a little bit, but you know this is. One of the, and this has been a tough place for Michigan State to win over the years. It's it's always hostile when Michigan State gets in there, so it's going to be a little different crowd than Northwestern, I, I think. You know, Super Bowl Sunday, people are going to be amped up, ready for for that, and this is kind of their appetizer down there before the the big game. So, but yeah, I mean, you know, Sensabaugh is going to be an interesting matchup to see, and because again, you know, all things right. You know, in all things 100%, you, it's an easy matchup. You throw Malik Hall on him, but Malik's still laterally not there. So who do you match up with him? I mean, you can go Jaden Akins, go a little smaller on him. You can try and maybe go Hauser on him, but I don't think Hauser, I don't think that's a good matchup for Hauser there, uh, especially considering, you know, with Suing and, and Key, they got some size. They're going to need him and Sissoko off that. So I don't know. I mean, that's... You know, and, but that's the guy that you got to prevent from really going off on you. I, I think that, you know, you, you, if you're able to shut that down, and like you said, I mean, if they, the one thing I think they were able to do against Maryland, and, you know, Maryland and Rutgers both were throwing a lot of pressure at them, you know, in the front court, you know, running some press and running some things that, that disrupted the timing. I think they were able against Maryland to get out and run a little bit more. This is a game where you absolutely have to get out and run and you have to rebound. I don't think it's funny because I think, you know, looking at the stat sheet, Michigan state had two offensive rebounds against Maryland and they were both team rebounds. Izzo on Thursday said, he's like, I consider that getting no offensive rebound. So that's going to be a point of emphasis in this game for them. And particularly if, if you're able to, you know, if Northwestern's able to shut them down to miss nine threes in the first half of that game, you got to be on lockdown mode there because they're going to be trying to come out and, and correct that a little bit. Yeah, and they're a team that, you know, like Michigan State, usually shoots a lot of twos and shoots a fairly low percentage of twos given the number of twos they, they take. There's some similarities there. It's a big spot for MSU, and I say that for this reason. They get Minnesota next at home on Wednesday night and a game they should win comfortably. And that's the only game on the whole schedule where you don't, if you exhale, you're an idiot. Cause they obviously have Minnesota went to Ohio state and won. and Minnesota's had a couple of games where they've challenged people. 
but they're down some guys right now. They've had some COVID breaks, all this stuff. That's right? a that's a foot foot on the throat kind of game that you need to win and win handily. Totally. Yeah. Especially with how many close games they've played lately. But if you beat Ohio State, that stops the seesaw stuff. That gives you three straight wins. And all of a sudden, it allows you to get some separation from 500 in the league and to feel a little bit better about yourself going into that Michigan game, which I think is a real opportunity next weekend. And we'll obviously talk before that game and do another another pod. But, like, that is – Michigan – I mean, Michigan's playing a lot better right now. Yeah. But it's absolutely a winnable game, even on the road, even at, at Chrysler Center this year. And that game feels more like an opportunity and less like – God, they got to get one of these if you've won three in a row and you've won at Ohio State and you've gotten a road win there. And and so I, I just think and, and the beauty of however flawed the metrics are in their love for Ohio State, that's fine. Beat Ohio State on the road, that's a quad one win. That's a that's a win that's gonna gonna help you. You know, and there's some other interesting games that are becoming quad one wins and, and as as the schedule goes along from, from earlier. Well, that, and that's the interesting thing too about what this you look at the the resume that Michigan State's build. Um, you know, that Kentucky win is probably the marquee win right now, even still, and, and Kentucky's down. So I think you hope that that ends up being a little bit bigger of a win further down the line, but it's just been a, a model of of winning the games that you're supposed to win. And I think you got a whole court to me the, the the biggest game left on the schedule is the Indiana game. You know, that's the one where you can point to and, you know, the way Indiana has been playing, probably put that with the Kentucky game as the two marquee wins. If they can get it, Rutgers probably would be there as well. The home win, um, but you got a whole court at home in particular, but you're right. The Michigan games and, and I think Michigan, the Indiana games are the two biggest in terms of, of tournament profile left? Well, I would say also, though, Iowa is pretty big uh, on the road because, you know, in terms of, you know, Indiana, like, is 21, Ken Palm, Iowa's 32. Yeah, they're uh, different on the road. They got – I mean, they didn't – they were – it's like they didn't show up to West Lafayette, but that they're not the only team that that's happened to this year. Right, but what I mean is, like, if you – Iowa um, – That'll be in terms of net rank and all that. Winning on the road at Iowa will be a bigger win yeah. than winning at home against Indiana in terms of if you were able to do it. But agree, both of those are like real opportunity games. Um, and uh, and then and then the other thing is we talk about opportunities. They finish at home against Nebraska and Ohio State. You know, and one thing I think I'm going to do. Oh, they're at Nebraska. They're at Nebraska at, for that. At, at Nebraska, right? Home against Ohio State. But again, opportunity for two more wins. Like you start looking at what the schedule could be if they go, uh, you know, say they say they beat Ohio State, and let's even say they lose to Michigan, but but they win their home games. So so say they so right now they are what seven and six in the Big Ten. Beat Ohio State, you're eight and six. Beat Minnesota, all of a sudden you're nine and six. Life's feeling a little bit better. You lose to Michigan, you're still nine and seven. Beat Indiana, you're ten and seven. Lose to Iowa, ten and eight. You win your last two, you're twelve and eight. That's exactly what you know. That, that that's going to get you potentially a top four seed in the Big Ten tournament. If you get to twelve wins, like it's all right there. And and you know, I think one thing that that I'd like to do at some point, and I might try and do in a column next week, is sort of look at a, a replacement schedule. Like everybody looks at MSU's record, but MSU has played again according to Ken Palm, which loves Ohio State, so who knows? But the toughest schedule. But it's like Jerry Palm and Purdue. 
Yeah, right. It, it, it's tough a schedule in the Big Ten to this point, uh, in, in Big Ten play only. And what I'd like to do is, is just based on projected wins and losses, pace somebody else's schedule over Michigan State's. Because Michigan State's order of teams they played, Michigan State could have a much better record if they had played this back half first. And, and, and that, that to me is, um, I, I mean, I, I think that's important. And, and I understand some of the frustration towards MSU is, is 100% warranted. There are things about them that, I mean, their inability to hit the 70-point mark is, is a remarkable consistency, if <laughs> nothing else. Yeah. Um, but, They're not the only team that's struggling like that, though. I mean, Wisconsin struggling like that as well, and yeah, a number of to, other teams are struggling to score right now. Yeah, you don't want to base yourself on Wisconsin. Yeah, but I, I know what you mean. Like, and, and they're yeah, you're right. But so this is a chance to. But if they get to twelve and eight, and they're feeling decent about themselves, and and and, and I think this game at Ohio State is a is a real swing game in terms of getting to twelve and eight, separating slightly from the pack, getting to twenty wins, heading into the Big Ten tournament, even. Now there's not going to be pressure on that week once they get to ten in terms of making the tournament, but that week only becomes about can you elevate your seating at all and 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 what 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 potentially can you be and and being away from that seven eight range I think if you get to twelve wins in the Big Ten you're starting to look at a six seed perhaps and things like that and so that those sort of opportunities that set you up in a better place in March I think this weekend at Ohio State presents a you know is is the swing game and some of that. Just like I saw, thought the opportunity at Rutgers had some of that to it, and they didn't take advantage of that one at, at Madison Square Garden. This one is another one of those games. Yeah, and I mean, a lot of this down the stretch is going to be who's got who left, too. I mean, you know, I think, you know, Penn State lost that game last night at home to Wisconsin, but if you look at their Brutal. schedule, I think they're I think they're at, like, five and eight right now in the Big Ten. But this is, Penn. I, like, I just stumbled into Penn State's schedule, and I was like, this is their schedule. At Maryland, home against Illinois, at Minnesota, at Ohio State home against Rutgers at Northwestern and then a home against Maryland. That's, I mean, they're five and eight right now, but those are all winnable games for that Penn state team. You know, I mean, they could, they could go on a run, even though they've lost three in a row and win, you know, six of seven. And all of a sudden they're right back in the mix for a, a number or a, a double buy. I mean, yeah. it's this year's schedule is just, I mean, just out of control, crazy. Um, I think Michigan State probably has, in the, you know, probably had say a mid mid range schedule compared to some of the teams, but you know, there, you know, if Penn State's got a, a schedule like that, there's someone that's going to be out there that's got a gauntlet down the stretch that's that's going to be tough to overcome and and might knock them away from getting one of those four, well, the other three double buys because I think we can pretty much pencil in Purdue as a double buy team now. Is there anything else we need to touch on before uh, we let? We will go here for the games. Anything else that? Uh... No, I don't think so. I mean, yeah. you know, obviously the Rutgers game at the Garden was one that they probably are going to look back and wish they could have had. Um, totally. You know, and you know, you know, they've had a lot of these kind of games like that that were winnable that they didn't, which I think is you know they're able to do it at home. Now you got to take that on the road. Well, that that's where this weekend is interesting, right? Because that's where I thought they'd be better than they have been. Is is that poise late with a veteran team and and and. It hasn't always it hasn't always happened. Well, we will have complete coverage Sunday uh, from Columbus, of course, the Minnesota game, and we'll be back here uh, after the Minnesota game, probably next Thursday with the Saturday game uh, at Michigan, and um, and we'll talk about that and where things are with Michigan State. Yeah, we appreciate you sticking with us and and, and joining us today. Spartan Speak has been a production of the Lansing State Journal, the Detroit Free Press.
uh, and the USA Today Network. For Chris Solari, I'm Graham Couch. Thanks for listening. For, and for Cliff Omarui, I'm Chris Solari. <laughs> and for Phil Friend, our silent partner.